So in this week's gospel reading that we just heard, we jump from last week's reading in Matthew and the baptism of Jesus to the more quirky gospel of John, with John the Baptist crying out, here's the Lamb of God, and just a few moments later testifying that Jesus is the Son of God. Now every year the lectionary jumps to John's gospel on the second Sunday after Epiphany. And it provides a unique spin on Jesus' baptism and the calling of the disciples. Now, John doesn't actually baptize Jesus in this gospel. But here he loudly attests to it. He was clearly there. And similarly, Jesus doesn't so much as call the disciples, but he asks them what's kind of a strange question. What are you looking for? To which they respond with an equally strange, where are you staying? And then he says, come and see. Now next week we return back to Matthew and his version of the calling of the disciples. And so it raises the question of why John? Why now in this second Sunday of Epiphany? And I think it might get at the meaning of Epiphany. Now this, it's a strange season. It's when we celebrate the fact that God is manifest, and that's also known as the Epiphany, in the person of the Jesus of Nazareth what we call the Incarnation. So today's reading serves as kind of a connective tissue between last week's celebration of the baptism of our Lord with the dove descending and the heavenly voice crying out and next week calling of the disciples. And it does it with that unique lens that so often comes to light in John's Gospel. Now we even have the evangelist translations inserted into the text in case we miss the areas that he probably wants to emphasize. Rabbi, also known as teacher. Messiah, also known as the anointed. Cephas, also known as Peter. And later we'll learn Rock. Now in her book, Written That You May Believe, Encountering Jesus in the Fourth Gospel, Sandra Schneiders claims that, quote, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who tell the story of the earthly Jesus to lead readers to the realization that this man is more than a mere human being, John writes from a heavenly or divine viewpoint, writing from a divine point of view. So we need this second Sunday maybe to interject a little God perspective into the historical story of Jesus, to make a step back cosmologically so we don't get too hung up in the literalness or the historicity of the story. You see, John doesn't have a birth or a baptism. Instead, it opens with a Genesis-like reflection. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A birth story would be too mundane for John. So he begins at the beginning of time. And there are several stories unique only to John in the Gospels. And they provide a lens into what might be seen as this gospel's heavenly perspective. The nighttime visit by Nicodemus. The Sabbath healing at the pool of Bethsaida. Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. Lazarus and his raising. The foot washing. Mary Magdalene in the garden. and, And finally, even the doubting Thomas. Those are all unique to John. And what's interesting about all of them is the deeply personal interaction of Jesus with other people. It's very intimate. This heavenly perspective appears to be extremely relational. 
Jesus, God made manifest, spends a big chunk of the gospel engaged with individuals in an extremely personal way. For example, his interaction with a Samaritan woman, which is the longest exchange he has with anyone throughout the Gospels. And he reaches deep into her being, knowing her marriages, knowing the details of her living situation. And then later, Jesus engages Mary Magdalene just outside the tomb by, by gently calling her name, Mary. He even opens himself literally to Thomas, inviting him to touch so that he may believe. Now, this is not the all-powerful Messiah who's come to liberate Israel from the Roman overlords, but this is a humble Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is not Jesus as the great high priest, but Jesus as the sacrificial Lamb. Today's Gospel has Jesus asking the would-be disciples what is possibly the essential existential question that we all share. What are you looking for? Humans are, in our essence, missional beings. We're seekers. We need purpose. We're looking for something, something meaningful, looking for meaning in our lives. Jesus doesn't ask their biographical details, like where are you from or what do you do, but instead ask, what are they looking for? What are they seeking? And they respond with a non sequitur of a response in a way, where are you staying? They are seeking, and he is staying. They're looking for something, and he's about being in a specific place. They're about looking, and he's about being found. So this, dev this heavenly perspective, this divine point of view, starts with us seeking and ends in deep dialogue with Jesus, the Logos, the Word, the Christ. Snyders later claims in her book that John is, more than the other Gospels, an encounter with the divine perspective, and it's written so that we may believe. It's not about geography or people, but about symbols. Symbols like the signs that point to Jesus' divinity, such as the wedding at Cana. Symbols like Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, even the doubting Thomas. Symbols that talk to us even now, because we share some of those. And as such, these symbols serve as markers for us that open up our own encounter with the divine. In hearing and reading John, we stretch our spiritual bandwidth unlike any other reading. We stretch our vibration and, and we open ourselves to be changed, just as the disciples are changed. A very vivid example of that change is in the final part of today's Gospel reading, when Jesus meets Simon, Andrew's brother, and instantly, Jesus renames him. He becomes Cephas, which we're helpfully told means Peter, but it also means rock in both Greek and Aramaic. Peter is the rock upon which Christ's church will be built. Now, naming something is an expression of ownership, and here in this very first meeting, Simon is Peter, the rock. What are you looking for? This Johannine interlude in the second Sunday of Epiphany invites us to stop and, and ponder that question. What are you looking for? It makes me wonder what drives so many of you to devote huge amounts of time, treasure, and talent to this community of St. Peter's. What drives you to leave the comforts of central Arkansas in February and 
whether the endless and sometimes dangerous bus rides and questionable facilities in Guatemala? What drives you to basically adopt a homeless family, oversee the birth of their newborn, and hold a baby shower, which Sandra Sharp did just this week? She initiated it. What gets you up on a early on a Saturday morning to tend the food pantry twice a month? And just bigger, what gets you to come here week after week? What are you seeking? Take a moment to think about the feeling you get when you do those things. When you make a young Mayan girl smile despite not speaking her language or her speaking yours. When she recognizes you when you come back two years later. When you help feed a hungry family, giving them the only food they may have for a week. When you gather here on a Sunday to sing and pray and share in Christ's body and blood. And I think it's that feeling that points us to what we are really seeking. It's that feeling that gives us our intimate encounter with the divine, with the logos, with Christ. It's what we are looking for even during times when we don't know we're looking for. What I truly love about our community and especially the mission work here at St. Peter's is that we don't have an agenda. We're not handing out copies of the Gospel of John with our paper bags in the food pantry and forcing people to pray. We're not proselytizing our Guatemalan patients as they wait for our doctors or their medicines. Now you may say that makes us pretty bad at evangelism, but I think it makes us pretty good at being Christian. We do this not for another convert, but because it's that feeling that we are seeking, that feeling, that connection with the divine, the logos, the Christ. Now this weekend we celebrate the life and accomplishments of one of the country's most prophetic and accomplished saints, Dr. Martin Luther King. His vision remains an inspiration for the work we do in the world, especially here at St. Peter's. Yesterday also marked the feast of the confession of our very own namesake, St. Peter. It's a pivotal moment in the Gospel of Matthew when Peter declares Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus right there blesses him and declares that he is Cephas, he is the rock upon, the work, um, upon which the church is built. We're blessed to have this rock, this St. Peter's, here in Conway. And it's because of you. Your relentless pursuit of that special feeling, that connection with the divine that makes it that way. Today we join with our brother and our guide, with Peter, with Cephas, with Rock. We come together to share in the body and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to celebrate each other. And it feels good. Because it is what we are looking for. It's where Jesus is staying. And he's saying to us, come and see. Amen.